Alright guys, well I am Nikki T. I'm Kurt Ozon. And we are back with our first episode in a while of the Raise Rowdy Podcast. With, first of 2024. Yeah, uh, oh, we're going to be in a new studio in 2024, but today we're on site with Mr. Josh Abbott here at Makewake. I'm honored, thank you guys. Absolutely. Didn't know I was the first of the year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're uh, we're super excited to have you, man. Um, I've been a fan for a while. Like I said, we talked chatted a little bit before the pod about me getting to catch a a, a show up in uh, Pennsylvania from you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been years before I even moved to town. So it's it's good to get to sit down with you, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's changed since then too, huh? I would say so. <laughs> what year was that, Nikki? That you probably. Twenty eighteen, twenty. Yeah, I was gonna say my guess is twenty seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, that we've replaced. Rare. Three band members, and I have, you know, a wife and two kids. Mm-hmm. So I'd say a lot's changed in that time. Yeah, yeah. that's good, man. That's a whole lot of life right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, since you're talking about band members, and I'm like a band guy, you want to run us through the lineup, the 2024 lineup? Yeah. The <laughs> Starting five lineup. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, we had such continuity and consistency for a decade. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then in 2020, our uh, OG fiddle uh, player, utility player, mm-hmm. Preston White, P-Tone, he left. And then um, <clears throat> our guitarist left in uh, twenty, the very beginning of 2022. <clears throat> so, But now the rest of the band's pretty much the same, though. So our drummer, Eddie, Eddie V, mm-hmm. um, he joined in 2008. Uh, Austin Davis on the banjo, he... That guy's a great player. He's a he's yeah. a wonderful wonderful player and has a really cool progressive kind of contemporary style not traditional style you know right. he's definitely more in the Bella Fleck Bella Fleck mm-hmm. kind of range of musicianship than necessarily like standard bluegrass right but anyway he's he shoot he we were playing together before we had a band I mean he yeah. was my fraternity brother in college so we were playing in 2004 2005 and then we kind of put the band together mm-hmm. in 2006 Man, it makes me sound so old. And then we started. When kinda, I was in college, so yeah, we right started there, playing yeah. outside of Lubbock around 2007, and then 2008 is when we were like, okay, if we're going to do this, we should take it serious. And that's kind of when we launched. That's when we found Eddie and Preston. Um, anyway, though, um, our bass player, uh, or I should say, our keys player, David Fraylin, he's our band leader. Wonderful, sweet human, super talented, plays a ton of instruments, sings. He's just awesome. Um, he joined officially in 2015, but he had played some shows before that. Um, and then uh, let's see, our bass player, Jimmy, from the San Antonio area, amazing harmony singer as well as just a dialed-in bass player. Um, he uh, joined in 2018, um, and then I guess I should hurry through this. So um, our two guitarists... Uh, Kel Richardson and Chris Farrow, and then our fiddle player, uh, Adam Hill, um, which ironically, he studied a lot of our former fiddle player. Like he actually learned fiddle from watching and kind of imitating both our old fiddle player, Preston, as well as the Randy Rogers band fiddle player, Brady Black. Those were two, you know, big kind of heroes of his. So um, kind of like in a weird way, like a passing of the torch from from one to the next. So that's the band. Um, we're an eight piece band. And, Huge band. That's awesome. Um, it's a lot of overhead. It's a lot of dudes in one bus because we can't afford two buses. But yeah. um, we're grateful to be in the one. And you know, we mostly tour Texas, probably to North Dakota. You know, kind of 
the Midwest, including the Rocky Mountains. That's kind of our wheelhouse of things. But with this new album release, we've made the effort to kind of get back out there on a national scene and go East Coast to West Coast and see what's out there for us. And that's where we're at right now. Yeah, I think the, Sorry for the really no, long intro. No, oh, you're man. fine, man. That's why we're here. Yeah. I definitely hear, listening to the new record, I definitely hear the appeal to a wider audience, you know, more so than like, this is not just the Texas sound or whatever. So I can definitely hear that that's kind of what y'all are going for with it still being rooted in what the Josh Abbott band is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, every album we've done has a theme. Mm-hmm. And so part of that theme, you know, embracing that is is to lyrically and sonically approach it from that perspective. And so, um, you know, at the very beginning of our career, we had that Texas country sound, but mm-hmm. we didn't necessarily sing about Texas. And then that shifted a little bit with the She's Like Texas record. And then for a couple records there, we sang about Texas. But, you know, we didn't actually sing a song and say the word Texas in this new album as well as the album before this. And so it's kind of a stereotype. Everyone's like, oh, they just sing about Texas. Well, it's not really. You know, we've had some hits that involve that word, but Mm -hmm. we've definitely recorded a lot of songs that we feel like just kind of relate to that, this, you know, this genre that's really emerged over the last probably five years and um, has really blown up on a national level because before that... Texas country was very regionalized, right? It was just very Texas and Oklahoma. And Mm -hmm. yeah, as you say, niche. uh, Is that the right word? Niche? Something like that. Niche. I never know. It's not a grammar podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was was so that, right? And and now it's like, man, it's like because of, you know, all these different streaming services and the availability of music at your fingertips – and these algorithms that'll point you in the direction of things that, hey, if you like this band, you might like this one. It's just really changed the game from kind of the monopoly grip that radio held on the music world for pretty much ever until yeah. now. And so uh, that's been really cool, being able to grow our fan base, even though we've been a band for you know 15 plus years now. I feel like we're kind of still growing, which is weird. That's incredible. I think so too. I remember like um, I had a buddy that kind of got me into like the Texas like red dirt scene, um, and it was like finding a whole new genre of music. Totally, for me. you know. Yeah. It was like, Wait, what? Yeah. What is this? Wait, music. all of this great music that I didn't know already. Yeah. You know, it was uh, it was super um, eye opening for me. And like one of the things that kind of started that for me was I like stumbled into a Turnpike Troubadour show. And then once I saw that, I was like, wait, how did I not know all of this music already? It was up mm-hmm. in Chicago. We were there for an outdoor hockey game. And we were like, well, we got to go to Joe's on Weed Street. And it was Turnpike. And then I started listening to their stuff. And I was like, wait, wow. what? And then that and that's led how it happens. Whole, yeah. And now you run a podcast. Absolutely. I mean, you just you yeah. never know where that path leads you. Absolutely. I, I'm right there with you. It was the same for me. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. I grew up in Texas, but contextually, you know, uh, up until, you know, the early 2000s, mid-2000s, um, they didn't play Texas country on the radio. I mean, we yeah, I lived in Lubbock, was from there, the whole thing, but, like, the station played, they played mainstream music. I, mean, yeah. I listened to the same thing everybody else did across the country. So um, when they started playing our song, that was a huge deal. I mean, I'm talking huge. Like, 2007, 2008, when they started playing our very first song, Everyone in Lubbock thought we were this huge national band that had a record deal because they were so, I mean, they would hear George Strait, Alan Jackson, Josh Abbott band. Yeah. 
So just a really interesting thing. But nowadays, it's obviously it's mixed a lot more. And you you see a lot of Texas country guys that have record deals out here now, and that yeah. helps them get national radio play. But even then, you know, a lot of stations that are mainstream down in Texas and Oklahoma will integrate a lot of the red dirt and Texas country into their playlist. Yeah. And there's like a Texas radio. Oh, yeah. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Segment. I guess chart yeah, or chart. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Also, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What's that? What's that about? What's the deal with that? I guess is other radio stations that just play Texas country, and that's where those numbers come from. It's or? a great question. I, I'm not even fully sure like what the criteria yeah. is for you know being a reporting station to that. You yeah. know, I don't know if it's limited to you can't play mainstream music. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that at all. I think you probably just register to be a part of the chart because it's not just Texas. There's right. reporters to those charts that are in all across the Midwest and Rocky right. Mountains. Yep. So, um, you know, it has its kind of own chart. And, uh, you know, I think we're just still in the growing stages of this genre. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it's crazy because, like, it, it was like uh, there wasn't as many people that enjoyed that kind of thing. And now it's almost, like, cooler to like Texas country than it is even mainstream country because it is authentic. It's become cool. It's rootsy. You know, it's, yeah. it's derived in the things that are – popping in the genre right now yeah you know like, i completely agree and the whole zach bryan phenomenon yeah, crazy and, uh you know parker mccollum and co wetzel and cody johnson i mean turnpike troubadours all these bands are ca- pretty different yeah you know absolutely. if you listen to their styles and brands they're yep. all very different but their fan base is the same yeah and that kind of um has really helped grow the scene as well i fully believe there are people out there that are on whatever you know play whatever dsp or whatever um and they're listening to cody johnson and then the next song on the algorithm is ours or yeah absolutely maybe the same for parker and we're grateful for that yeah and i think that's super cool too i mean that's one of the things i remember being a young man and you know searching for stuff on Napster and other applications like that. But you had to know what you were looking for. Napster. Yeah, right. I'm old, but yeah. No, I just, that's just funny. But now it's like, like you're talking about, you can get fed so much. If you build a playlist of 10 songs, it recommends a hundred other songs in that same thing. Yeah, it picks up on the vibe. Yeah, which is super cool. I found a lot of bands that way too. Absolutely, I have as well. Yeah, I still do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still do. Yeah. And when I discover a band that I like, I diving in their music sometimes i'll scroll down to the bottom and be like you might also like these bands I yeah mean, you just never know yeah i think that's a great way to do it too i mean and i'm sure there's data behind all of that like what it feeds you know based on like who's in the the demo of what they think is the fan base but um i mean i'm super thankful for that and it's funny like i remember i went to like apple music from spotify and then i was like eh, spotify has my algorithm better i'm going back mm. so i like went back to it just because like i think it knew it had more data probably <laughs> where it knew what to feed me a yeah. little bit better you know sure which is yeah. crazy but it's like here's more chris cornell for you nick oh yeah, yeah. that would be blessed <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm a i'm a country music guy but i really got into the genre like maybe 2012 with zach brown's foundation album mm. um, my dad listened to it growing up so i knew a lot of songs but i wasn't like a crazy country music fan and then when I heard that Foundation album, I was just like blown away. And I yeah. just dug super deep into it. So that Gateway was, drug. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just got me into the genre and then led down from there. We did uh, we did some like promotions for some like small events that were Red Dirt. There was a Red Dirt radio show up in Pittsburgh that my buddy Jackson ran. And that was like one of my buddies that like really got me deep into the scene. 
So we got to do a few shows up in Washington, Pennsylvania that we helped like Rage Rowdy helped like co-promote with the, uh, the radio station. And that's like really when I really got deep into it. It's like, I mean, I was like listening to things before, but that's when I like really started exploring. Yeah. Dove in the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great. Um, just an indie radio show. And then me and Kurt had a indie radio show up in Pittsburgh too. Sunday nights on Y108, um, which is like a intercom RIP station. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, it was editorial. <laughs> it was a lot of work, man. Yeah. And zero dollars. So we actually nope. were losing money doing it. <laughs> yeah. So but. it's a great summation of the yeah. music industry in general. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of work and often zero dollars. Yeah. And then every now and then you find that pot of gold at yeah. the end of the rainbow. Yeah. We're still waiting for that pot of gold. I think Kurt probably found one, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, riding them coattails, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Um, let's jump into and talk about your new record. Sure. Um, obviously, you know this being a Texas country record, it has those influences. But I hear a lot of other sounds that I wasn't expecting on it. Thank Can, you. Yeah, and uh, so it's just it just has such a fresh sound. Something you could elaborate on some of the influences sure. that come into this. Well, for a while now. Every record that we've done for probably at least the last 10 years, I feel like my kind of goal going into the record was to add at least one new instrument to what the fans are hearing. And so interesting. Um, on this record in particular, we added harmonica and we added synth. Neither one of those had been on previous albums, believe it or not. Synth is not hard to believe, but the harmonica is probably a little harder to believe. But mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean... We just wanted to do something different, and I found myself, uh, you know, one of the, one of my favorite things that we've ever done in my career is the back half of front row seat. I love the front half, too, so I don't mean that in any disrespect, but the back half of front row seat, our 2015 album, got really artistic and a little dark, mm -hmm. and we did some really cool stuff there, and I wanted to recreate that with some of the songs on this album, and so... Decided that the way to get that to that next level was to add the synth. I, I feel like our keys player, Fraylin, was really like, hey, I think this will sound cool on it. And just kind of gave him that creative, hey, sure, go for it, man. Let's hear it. You know, you can't, nothing wrong with at least hearing something in the studio. Amen. And you'll know immediately if you like it or not. And yeah. we dug it. And so we ended up putting synth on half of this new record. Um and then we put a harmonica on a few songs, and I think that's pretty cool. You know, I think it shows the diversity of our band. Yeah. Um, like 99.9% .9 of what you hear on this record is us eight guys. There's only yeah. one outside part on one song. It's and cool. I think that's pretty cool. It um, is. And so, uh, yeah, we, we, we did some, some new, unique stuff, and, and we, uh, I, I arranged the album um, to flow a little bit different. Normally in the past, I was just a huge um, fan and kind of adamant about like, okay, we're going to start the record with a banger, you know, and then we're going to, by song three and four, we're going to be in the radio land. And then songs five, six, seven, going to be the heart of the record, right? The, the B cuts that really mm -hmm. mean a lot. And then the end of the album, maybe the B cuts that are the upbeat stuff or vice versa, right? That's a lot of people flow their records like that, right? It's a recipe that works. Yeah, and I just didn't want to do that on this record, so we, you know, we uh, we basically arranged it backwards to front. Kind of start the record with all the songs that you would typically hear tracks six through ten on a record. Yeah, and the songs that you would normally hear one through four or five, those are songs, you know, 
seven through 11, yeah. 12. And um, I just, that's how I wanted this to do because I wanted it to be very intent. I wanted people to go, wow, he intentionally made us listening to these darker B-side heart songs <clears throat> at the top of this record. What does this mean for, for, for Josh Abbott band and the artwork that we chose for the record? Where's this so cool. high, where's this thank you? Yeah. Where uh, A friend of mine named Gary um, Osier, uh, not Gary Osier, oh my gosh, Gary Dorsey. <laughs> Gary Dorsey um, helped design that. And, you know, I definitely had some, this is kind of what I'm looking for, something super cool. And he he definitely ran with it and just blew me away with it. But I, I love it. And it's like, it's significant. It's rhetorical. It's like, where's this band going? That's literally what I want everyone asking when they listen to this record. What the fuck is going on with this band? I don't know if I can cuss on here. You but sure sorry. can. Josh, I can cuss on this podcast. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> what is going on with this band? Where is this band going? Because I don't want to be the band that has to play that settles into retirement role and plays She's Like Texas as the highlight of my show for the rest of my career and I die at 70 or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. not me. It's not my life. It's not what I want to do with this career. I'll quit before that. I want to grow with every single album that we put out. I want to only get a bigger fan base with every single record that comes out. And whether you came to the party in 2010 or 2020, it doesn't matter if you're here at the party. I want every record to grow us in a cool way. And so I'm just, I just have this like desire. Um, and the funny thing about that is not some huge like narcissistic desire of like fame or something. I just, I really love making music. I love writing songs that mean a lot to me and putting them out. I don't really have a desire, and it's probably a good thing, right? I don't want to be necessarily a band that tours stadiums. I don't think that's us, and it's obviously at this point of our career, it's, it's just not us, right? But like, that hasn't, that's not really my goal. But if I can get to the point where everywhere we go, we play to a thousand people. Yeah. That's great. I think that's a great living and a great career, and you can. You know, you can grow a really nice fan base from that that really loves what you do. I mean, like, I look up a lot to, like, from that business standpoint, I look up to Robert Earl Keane, who yeah. never stopped making great records, you know? He could have stopped making records 10 years ago, at least, and just rode the coattails of some of those songs that he put out in the first, you know, 15 years of his career. Mm -hmm. He just never stopped. He always put out new records, and there's a lot of bands that are like that. Paul McCartney still puts out great records, like... Yeah, no um, doubt. The new Rolling Stones record is fucking awesome. Yeah. I have not heard it yet, and it's that good. makes me want to go listen to it. You know, and um, John Prine's last album, I think, was his best record ever. Yeah, John I, Cash's last record for his. And best, you I know, think. I look at like widespread panic and like what they do as a band, and mm -hmm. they just continue to put out new music, and they just continue to grow their fan base. And people, yep. they've been doing this for like forty years. That's where I want our career to go, and that's why we made this record, and that's where we're going. And I'm not sure where that leads us into the next land, but, you know, um, the next record could be a lot more like the front four or five songs that you hear on this record. I think it was a real introduction to how our band wants to sound. Yeah. And then track six or seven is called Back to Normal. And it's in, very intentional to put that there in the middle of the record. Because from then on, when you listen to the record, it sounds like a typical Josh Abbott band record. Gotcha. Right? It's a tip of the cap to, okay, now folks, thanks for listening to these. Appreciate you. Now we're back to normal. Here's the songs that you want to hear.
you know and yeah so we'll just kind of slowly introduce these songs to our fan base so this is definitely a record that people should sit down and listen to front to back then yeah i would encourage them to and i would also say that we we mix this record kind of intentionally to be listened to through headphones cool when we've mixed previous albums we've mixed them to be listened to in different mediums you know, um, if it's a phone sitting in a cup at a party or something or sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we've mixed records to intent with the intention of being like, you should listen to this on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This record is going to sound better on vinyl because of the way we did it. Um, this record's going to sound better coming through your, your car. Yeah. This record right here. I think you should listen through headphones because there's so many cool moments in the background that you're not going to hear just listening on your phone. Yeah. And you're not going to hear it just, you know, listening to a Bluetooth speaker. You need to capture the way that we brought the synth in from the right and literally made it shoot through all the way to the left side in this one moment. And if you don't hear that, you don't get it. But if you listen to it through headphones, you'll hear those key moments where things kind of bounce around and go left and right. I love that too. And, uh, you know, people that get it, I appreciate it. And then there's a lot of people who probably just won't even ever understand or listen to it that way. I love a good record on headphones, you know. Same. Yeah, especially like I remember Kurt telling me about Dolby Atmos at first. Yeah. And I was like, this is yeah. so crazy. Yeah, <laughs> the, fr- that's the first good. time. <laughs> uh, this is a funny story. So I have a pair of AirPod headphones or Apple AirPods or whatever. And I was laying in my bunk and I had eaten an edible. And I was under my blanket, and the AC was cranking, and it was just—it was awesome. It was, and I was like, I'm gonna listen to something weird today, and I'm because I'm listening to the same shit I listened to in high school. You know, like we all do sometimes, right? Yeah. I'm like, all right, I've heard Ride the Lightning before. I need to listen to something new. So I was going through playlists on Apple, and I was like checking out like what's popular and blah blah blah. And I saw that Dolby Atmos um, playlist. That's the new thing. Well, I didn't know what it was. And so I hit play, and I was listening to, like, it had a bunch of music on it. And I thought my AirPods were off, and it was just playing out on my phone. Because it was like, it didn't sound like it was coming from my headphones. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I was I, mean, I was high on marijuana. <laughs> and and so I, I pulled my headphones out, and the music went away. I was like, what is going on? And then I had to Google what Dolby Atmos was. <laughs> I remember Kurt sending me that. Uh, like telling me that same story and yeah. me being like, okay, I got to get a pair of those AirPods now. Have you, have I'm you like, I got to get that edible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I got you, man. Yeah. I want that. It's, um, I think it's great. It's cool. I don't know if I like it more than just regular stereo. Like, cause there's, they have a record where, or a playlist where it's like songs that you've heard before, just it's remastered for, yeah. The, and so it's like, I put on like Casey Musgraves or whatever. Yeah, that and, record's and crazy. And that, yeah. yeah. But then it's a great record to listen to yeah. through that. I would yeah. think bands like that and, um, you know, Death Cab for Cutie yeah. and Daft Punk yeah. and Pink probably, Floyd. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> of course, Pink yeah. Floyd. Um, one of my favorite bands, Alt J. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know the Alt J. Are you kidding me? We both know. Dude, we're going to go down the rabbit hole <laughs> right. a little bit. I, I like love it. Alt-J. It's one of my favorite bands. Um, so is Def Cap or Cutie. I've noticed you guys have a lot of influence that's like not country. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I mean, I think if you listen to one of the songs on this record, Guilt of a Man, I wrote that from a very, like, I'm going to be in a songwriter headspace, Death Cap for Cutie style. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I've seen Death Cab Live before. Yeah, awesome. they're awesome. Yeah, yeah I have too, man. That's one of my favorite bands. And one thing I love about them when they, when they tour, they play their new record, man. 
Yeah. They start off with the new record. And they kind of are like, hey, man, this is, we're here to promote this new record and we're going to play all our old stuff too. And we're not going to like be dicks about it, but yeah. we're going to play the new stuff. And that's us on this tour. You know, my, my band, when we put this record out, they were kind of like, okay, so how many of the new stuff are we going to put in the set? About yeah. you know, two or three or four songs. And I was like, like yes, we'll I think the whole record. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, dude, we can't play the whole record. So right now we have nine of the 11 songs That's in cool. the set, but my goal is to get it to all 11 in the next three months. And I, other cool bands that do that too. I mean, Sturgill Simpson, when he yep. releases a record, he'll play it top to bottom. Yeah. I've seen Wilco do that. Queens of the Stone Age. You know what blew my mind is um, Hanson, Mbop, they did a show. (laughs) They played Gramercy Theater in New York. Tell me this isn't cool. And I think this was like 2011 or something, so it's wild. They did five nights in a row there, and they played five different records. They just played all their like records in a row. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's Could you wild. imagine doing that? No. No, I'm like, I would just forget how to buy. So many songs. Yeah. Better yeah. have tracks. And then they played Mbob at the end <laughs> yeah. of the night. <laughs> yeah. night for sure. And everyone's like, okay. That's badass, cool. though. Yeah, yeah that's no great. Doubt. Yeah. I love the tours that are like that, where it's like, hey, we're doing the first record, you yeah. know, or like, hey, we're doing the, the most recent record, whatever it is. I just think in country music, we get so fixated. We're a singles genre. Yeah. Right. We just are. Yep. We are radio singles, featured singles. You know, uh, focus track now is kind of what yeah. everyone in the industry says, and all these fancy terms. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm an album guy. Yes. Yeah. And that doesn't mean every album I've put out is amazing, but it means that when we put an album out, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. Yeah. What songs fit the vibe? Mm-hmm. How we're going to produce them? How we're going to mix these songs? How we're going to, you know, arrange them? Or what's the proper term for yeah. that? Um, I can't remember the order of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's usually it's a word I use a lot, and I can't remember it right now. But <clears throat> you know the way you put them on the record and mm-hmm. the way you present them in a live format, all that stuff means a ton to me, and it always has. Yeah, I think that's art. part of the yeah, that's part of the creative process, you know. Yep. Um, so you kick off the album with Astronaut, um, which just kicking ass. Dude, so good. I love that song too. Love like, that song. So background on that song, that's an Eric Dylan song. Yeah. Eric Dylan is one of my favorite humans. He's one of we my closest friends now. Yeah. Uh, especially in the music industry. Um, but we talk Chiefs football and hunting and all sorts of stuff. And he's become like just a real good friend of mine. And um, he's my favorite songwriter in this town. And uh, well, I shouldn't say that because I got a lot of songwriter yeah. buddies that are in this town. And they're <laughs> all five. They're yeah. Probably, well, yeah, but he's top five. <laughs> he's yeah. top five. But I love Eric. You know, we connect. And um, he had this song called Astronaut that he wrote with Driver Williams and Randy Montana. Yeah, it's a good and, crew to write with. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is an all-star yeah. cast. And they wrote a cool tune. Um, I believe Eric told me that the story behind that song was they were riding outside. I don't know if they were outside 50 egg or where, but they were riding outside one day somewhere. And there was a concrete guy, uh, you know, they were making a lot of noise or doing whatever. I don't know what stage of it they were in, but there was just a lot of construction noise and they were putting in concrete. And I think somebody was, um, maybe not one of the riders, but somebody else was kind of bitching about, um, the noise or something like that. And Eric was kind of like, hey, man, you could be out there pouring that concrete. And I think that led them to writing that song of like, sit of work in this bullshit concrete job, you know, sick of sweating in the summer heat. And that's just that cool vibe. It had such a Steve Earle, like just bite to it. Yeah. Some gritty. Just had teeth. And but when he recorded it on his record, um, 
uh, is it bones of a flatland boy or heart of a flatland boy? Heart I think. of a flatland boy. Man, years and years like, ago, yeah. he did like more of a punk country song with yeah. that. You know, and he was like real upbeat like that. So working this bullshit concrete job. And I didn't really love that. Um, but when he did it acoustic on bones of a flatland boy, he did that kind of drop D you know, maybe even down half a step. I'm not sure what he did on that record. And it's just him and a mic and an acoustic and he played it. And from there I was like, I love this song, but it needs to be full band again, but it needs to be this way. And so I kind of reproduced it to be this way we put it on this record, yeah. right? Where the band comes in and we just get after it from the get go. And, um, usually on some of these records, the band, um, you know, I, I, they kind of let me have a little bit of leeway on a song or two with getting creative. So me and the producer will smoke a little bit and they let me get weird. And on our front Dude, receipt record, that that uh, that weirdness was in the intro to Amnesia. And then on this record, that weirdness kind of shows in the, in the intro to Astronaut. I basically was like, I wanted the whole band. I was like, everybody just get in there and I want you to swell on this. I want you to come in here and you to do this and you're just ringing this and we're going to do that for like 50 seconds and then we're going to go into the track. And I just thought it was cool. It I is. don't know if other people would think it's cool, but I think it's cool. I do it specifically because I love that song before I heard your version. Mm, so cool. it was so cool hearing your version and how... Like you, you said, how different it is compared to that song. I've gotten really nice compliments and praise from those guys that wrote the song. And of course, every songwriter is going to tell the, an artist that cuts their song, hey, I love it. Good job, right? <laughs> Please but cut more. It yeah. feels <laughs> genuine. It feels genuine yeah. that yeah. they're like, dude, this is cool. Like, yeah. this is how the song was supposed to sound. And it's really cool that you did it all these years later. So I love that tune. It's a, it's a, how we start our set off awesome. with this tour yeah. and how we started the album off. Yeah. and. You know, again, very intentional just to be like, hey, this is a little bit more aggressive, a little different of an album than you're used to. Yeah, I love that. And I, like you're saying, I think it definitely sets the tone for the project, you know. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's one of those albums that, like you said, it, it kind of takes you on a journey. Right. And I think that's what the best albums do. You know, I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's like an album or if you can do that in a song, you're really, really killing it. Oh, yeah. No <laughs> you can doubt. make someone go on a journey in a song, you know. But um, that's one of the things, too. Like, I mean, Eric Dillon, probably, if you look at his streaming numbers, not a ton of people have listened to his stuff. But in this town, if you know, you know. If you know, you know. You know. Yeah, and there's a lot of those guys, right? Yeah. That if Same you know, you know. used to be that guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love that song. And then that song immediately goes into The Cell, mm -hmm. um, which I think's the coolest song on the record. Yeah. Right? I think Astronaut is kind of the hitter. It's a badass song. And then I think the coolest song... In the running for that. Sorry, I'm. I don't know why I'm struggling with my voice today. Are you good? But uh, the sale. I wrote that. It's a double entendre, to be honest. Um, you know, just to be vulnerable and candid. Um, I wrote that about my experience um, with with the the record label and kind of the mainstream world when I started getting introduced to it. Really, in 2012, and that time frame from about. 2012 to 2015 and it wasn't just about the record industry but it was also about <clears throat> kind of the people that come at you once you have a record deal and once you're playing once your name's the hot name because that was that time frame where our band blew up yeah i mean we blew up during that time frame and um you know i fully believe if we had that moment today it'd be 
massive, right? But yeah. we didn't have really Instagram then, and mm-hmm. yep. and we didn't have Spotify and stuff like that. We didn't yep. have TikTok and all these other things, you know. So, but in its own way, it was a real moment for our band. It led us to getting a record deal. And anyway, it, it, that song's not necessarily like a shot at anyone in particular. It's just not. It's not um, because those people that I worked with at Warner. I still stay in touch with them, and I think they're great humans. Um, that process just as a whole didn't work out for me in the yeah. band. Um, but it's really more about so many of the other people that wanted to write songs with me and wanted to be friends and other artists that wanted to like, hey, trade numbers, this and that, right? And then, you know, we get dropped from the record label, and then we're not quite, we're not that band that has the number one songs. All of a sudden, oh, those people don't really... They don't reply to your text. They yeah. don't want to write with you anymore. They don't want to play shows with you anymore. Um, and, you know, there's even some more depth to it that I don't really want to talk about. But that's that song, um, you know, if you figure it out, you figure it out. But it's really about a hard time in my life that, uh, you know, of just kind of discovering, like, man, not everybody's your friend. And that's what the sale is all about. Yeah. It's true, man. I love that. I mean, I think this musical thing more than almost any other life or journey is so up and down right it's just it's a roller coaster you know and every every person's thing i mean other than maybe luke which has been at the top the whole time but (laughs) it's just a journey you know and that's what i think builds those great songs builds the things that are most meaningful to you which if it's most meaningful to you that means it's going to be most meaningful you gotta sing about your own life right Yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah, that's right. See what I did there, and I didn't even write that song. Ironically, <laughs> oh yeah, that is ironic. Adam Hood and Brian Keene wrote "I'll Sing About Mine," and I loved that song so much that we had to cut it. That was the first outside song that we had re- ever recorded. I love Adam Hood so Crazy. much. I was He's like, so kind of adamant up to that point that we weren't going to record an outside song. But yeah. I heard that, and at that time we had just finished, or we were we were working on the Small Town Family Dream record, and that whole record is a tip of the cap and ode to, you know. The um, small town agriculture based, you know, thing, not just in Texas, but really across everywhere, because there's small towns that are the backbone of the country all across the country, right? Absolutely. And so I was like, I can't not record this song just because I didn't write it. Yeah. That is stupid. This song fits the record. And so that's why we recorded that. So anyway, everybody always thinks that I wrote it, um, yeah. but I did not write that's that. That's pretty one. funny. I like it though. I'm glad you cut it. Man, I think that's part of it too. It's and it takes an entertainer to be able to cut a song that you feel connected to as well. You know, what's really cool about that song too is uh, that song was on the Small Town Family Dream record that ended up helping us get our record deal. And then we shot a music video for it, and we did it in my hometown of Idaloo, Texas, which is a little farming town outside of Lubbock mm-hmm. in the Panhandle, and. Um, I love that because uh, when we shot it, I had my mom and dad in the in the in the video. Oh, and my dad passed away in 2017, five years later. So now, um, whenever I watch that video, unless there's a video that I don't know about with like on my mom's phone or brother's phone or dad's or whatever or, or my phone or something, that moment where my mom and dad kiss. Uh, is I think the only recorded moment that we have of that, right? Yeah. And all because we chose to do that song. And then I've got buddies from high school who 
our farmers or ranchers and they're in that video as well. That's so great. the That's video beautiful. was just super personal to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go check that out. Yeah. Man, that's that's part of the the cool thing is like those buddies of yours got to be a part of this thing that you've been building. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's super cool you took them on that journey with I them. wish I had included more of my friends along the way. I think all the time about ways I could have gotten this friend and this friend in and it's all about your circle, right? Yeah. But sometimes your circle has to grow and then those people are part of the story. So, you know, yep. you just have to you always question what you do, but <clears throat> as long as your intentions weren't malicious, you know, you can Sleep at night. Yeah. Do the best you can. That's it. Yeah, I think that's a a big part of it, too, is just making sure that you as yourself feel that you are including your friends. And I I try to do the same thing. I actually talked with a buddy, and he was like, how do you keep in touch with so many people? And I was like... Just a little effort. Yeah, it's intentional. Twice a year, man. Yeah, that's it. It's text that person randomly is so important. Like if you just text someone on their birthday, it doesn't mean anything. But if you text them out of the blue and just be like, "Hey, I was just thinking about you." Totally. I love just just calling people randomly while I'm driving. Yeah, yeah. Because you really want to jar them, FaceTime them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My college buddies be like, "Dude, please stop FaceTiming me." Especially at three in the morning. I'm like, "This is the technology we dreamed of as kids. You can literally." visualize someone talking to them like that was sci-fi right oh, yeah. and now it's a real thing and everyone's like no thanks <laughs> i declined <laughs> yeah um anyway sorry i did you, i'd love to keep talking about the new record though yeah, before please. i get sidetracked yeah, on absolutely. stuff I'm trying to think of this album um i think the next track after the sale is somewhere down the uh, no it's uh um what were you thinking it's a song i wrote about my wife and i meeting and dating it's really almost a <clears throat> It's really almost a um, kind of segue, um, a follow-up to a song I wrote about her called I'm Your Only Flaw, which yeah. I wrote during our dating experience. Um, I love that song, too. I think because if you really read the lyrics of those songs, it's kind of screams insecurity, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's something I had a really hard time with for for a few years was feeling insecure about, do I deserve this person? And maybe that's a common feeling. I'm not sure. Um, but that's what that song's about. And um, and then um, I think after that song is uh, a song, <laughs> kind of a, a really heavy song, probably one of the heaviest songs I've ever recorded. It's called Guilt of a Man. I talked about yeah. it a minute ago when I said it's influenced a little bit by Death Cab style phrasing and lyrical. And um, I wrote that about my wife going through postpartum depression. I That's a very taboo subject. I don't know if you're... Uh, married with kids or not I don't think y'all are um, so very hard for you to be able to relate you won't yeah. be able to to be honest um, but you know when you have children it, it's very common for women and sometimes men to have postpartum depression because your life changes so much and you're sleep deprived and oh, especially yeah. women they're having uh, you know hormone changes and i don't even really understand it all to be honest so i can't yeah. even really talk about it yeah. <laughs> someone's gonna be like he doesn't even know what he's talking about exactly yeah, yeah. Um, that's the point um and you're kind of helpless and you're watching your wife struggle you know with these feelings and her her new body and how it's changed and her emotions and her hormones and no no sleep and having to constantly 24 7 be in charge of this human and it's really hard and uh so i wrote a song about it called guilt of a man um, just kind of feeling like, man, I'm really sorry. Is this my fault? Am I the reason that you're so miserable? Because my only intention uh, is was to love you. That's it. 
and all of this came as a product of that, a byproduct of that. Yeah. So anyway, so that song, I've been doing that one in the encore, and I think it's been a really great moment. It's a great moment for that kind of song to kind of like bring it back down for a notch before we pick it back up. Um, I love the title track to the record, yeah. um, Somewhere Down the Road. I wrote that with John Randall. Great writer. Uh, he's just so great with lyrics. And, and I felt like when you write with someone like that, then you become more clever. They, you know, you absorb their ability. So, like, he came up with such cool lines. And then I came up with some cool lines. And I'm like, why can't I come up with those kind of cool lines when I'm writing by myself or writing with other people? Yeah. But I love that song. There's a little tip of the cap to Fleetwood Mac. And we put a little melody in there. And I love the way the, uh, the double guitar solo is, is incredible. That's a first for our band. I don't think we've ever had a double guitar solo from two different guitarists, yeah. right, in a, in a band, in one of our songs. And I think what they did in that song is incredible. I mean, you can just feel their electric guitars making love to the listener's ears, in my opinion. It's just yeah. beautiful. Um, and I guess I don't really need to talk about the whole record. You know, one of a really cute song, my daughter's favorite song is She'll Always Be. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote that with Neil Medley and oh, then yeah. a younger artist named Grant Gilbert. Yeah, love Grant. And um, we were actually writing for Grant that day. And it was his idea to write this song about a girl kind of blossoming and shining and growing through the cracks of the concrete like a wildflower, right? Blooming in the middle of a place that she shouldn't be. And um, we wrote this song, and I thought Grant would cut it for sure. I felt like his whole team was like, man, this song's great, but he didn't. And so when we went to the studio, I was like, I'm cutting it. You had yeah. your opportunity, and I'm going to do it. So what's great about those, when I played it for my daughter, she was like, Daddy, did you write this about me? And I was like, Yep. <laughs> sure did, honey. Yeah. Love you. It, it's kind of funny because I'm like, well, you know, through cognitive dissonance now, right? Like sure, through yeah. this justification, I can be like, well, I did because the song is about this free-spirited girl, right? And that's my daughter. Yeah. So kind of maybe in this way, I did write about her. I didn't, you know, it hurts to be like, I didn't actually sit down and write this about you, but in a way it is, right? And so I think of it, it's a young girl's song. It's a song with hope about you know about a young girl with a free spirit someone that hasn't been crushed yet by the weight of the world yes. and i think that's really pretty so anyway there's all sorts of cool stuff on the record there's some bangers barstool boys unplug the jug those are really fun beer drinking upbeat tailgating mm -hmm. going to the lake river songs if you will brutus judas and you i think it's a really clever song one of uh, one of my brother's favorites on the record um caesar had brutus jesus had judas and i had you Wow, that's kind cool. Of a, yeah. Ooh, ow. Yeah. Delivers really harsh, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, there's a love song on the record that I think if we had a re <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> there's a love song on the record that I think if we had a record deal, it'd be the single. It's called yeah. "Closer to You." Yeah. Eric Dillon co-wrote that song. Oh yeah. Um, I think uh, you know, in a, in an in a ideal world, we'd be able to put that to national radio and have some success with it. But I think we all know in this room that that's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's a it's lot a, of money. I don't yeah. want to say it's a rigged system, but it's kind of a rigged system. It is. It, it kind of is because um, you know the record labels they feed the radio stations and they feed the the record labels, and then the product of that are these award shows, and then they all kind of coexist. In this a closed loop, sure, way. you know, I would say almost inbred kind of way. Mm -hmm. That sounds harsh, I guess, but I think you know what I mean. Where it's like 
they all kind of it's their own little thing and yeah. if you want to get in from the outside it's pretty impossible and i don't mean that from a jaded standpoint i actually just say that from just an educated standpoint of i've i've just learned at this point in my career that it's gonna be really tough for me to have a top 10 or a national number one song yeah so I have to approach things with a little bit more realistic perspective and say, I'm just going to make a great love song. And if it goes viral in some sort of manner, then that'll be wonderful. Yeah. But, you know, us putting it to radio, those days are probably over. Yeah, national radio is tough without the labels. It's impossible, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. We've tried it numerous times, and we've been one of the more successful bands in country music modern history to be able to do that. Having a couple songs go into the top 40 as an independent band. like Yeah. That's like... Very unheard of. And in this town, the people were like, oh, top 40, that's nothing. I mean, you talk to people in this town, and they're like, they don't even get excited about a top 20 single. No. Sometimes they don't even get excited if their song's top 10. Top five. It has to be top three. It has yeah. to go number one. I'm like, my God, where's the the bar of success is so high? Like, mm -hmm. can we not take, you know, that, for me, going top 40 was huge for me. Yeah. You and know, no one else huge. wanted to celebrate it, but I thought it was cool as shit because we're an independent band. Yeah, the amount you know? of money that is spent to get a song to a radio number one is wild. I worked at a record label for like a year and a half, and it's just crazy to see. So we independently put out a couple, you know, a few songs to national radio. Yeah, one of them was "Wasn't That Drunk" mm -hmm. that I did with Carly Pierce, yeah. who yeah. I love to death. She's still like, I mean, we're we're close friends. Love her. Um, we put that song out in 2015, and just to get it in the 30s, I don't remember where it peaked, uh, but just to get it in the 30s, I think we spent 250 grand on a radio team. I would have thought more to honestly. promote yeah, it. Same. Yeah. It might have been 300 grand. Yeah. Crazy. Um, just to get it that far, and that's really as far as we could get it. Yeah. And I'm like, it genuinely it probably takes half a million to a million dollars to break an artist at least. Yes, it's crazy. Um, and we just, you know, that was as much money as I felt like we could afford to spend and probably, you know, maybe we shouldn't have spent it. But then again, we had a top 40 song. We yeah. went on late night TV. It boosted our touring. Yeah. Gave us new life. And, and so yeah. I, I think it was worth every penny, you know, but just really interesting to see like, yeah, I mean, I guess if I had a million dollars laying around, I could go to national radio again, but. Is that what you want to spend it on? But we just don't. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, it's not what I want to spend. Right. It exactly. Yeah. Well, that's Bill the Gates thing too. is listening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's like <laughs> so there's so many different things. So like that's one of the nice things about Texas in general is you guys do have a separate segment of radio stations that do play Texas country music. Sure. You know? Yeah. And it is so, popular. But listen, yes. if we're being honest, and this isn't going to make me any friends at the radio level, so I say this, uh, but carefully, but you know. Most younger people listen to Spotify, yeah, Apple, Pandora, yep. YouTube, or yep. whatever, yeah. YouTube, Amazon, sure. whatever mm -hmm. their, you know, for whatever their medium is. That's how they're accessing it. Yep. Now, radio is still a power player. Mm -hmm. We see it still where songs break on radio and it's huge. But it's going away. Yeah. And it has been for years. The writing's been on the wall. And so, you know, at some point in time, you know, the radio game will not be around. Yeah. And it'll be this other format, right? Yep. Like where playlisting is now the radio game. Yep. Right? Where you're fighting for playlisting. New gatekeeper. And yep. that's essentially already what we're seeing. Yeah. And you know what's funny is kind of the bullshit behind all that is, so if you want to get your song certified by like, what is it, R-I-A-A, -A, mm -hmm. yes. right? 
they've changed it now to where if you want to go, if you want to get like gold or platinum or whatever the things are, you have to have X amount of streams that were, um, I forgot what the word they use, but you have to like, people have to look up the song themselves and play it. Yeah. The songs from playlisting don't count towards the status. And I'm like, why? Nobody was picking what was on their radio. Right. Oh, yeah. Right? Like some person at this station said, I'm going to play this song X amount of times. And that counted towards what being gold or one. platinum yeah. or whatever. Radio dinner and free but show. Now, but, now <laughs> yeah. pe- but now if someone listens to your, your, your song on a playlist that's a huge playlist and you're lucky to be on it, that doesn't count towards your... Yeah, it's super Towards weird. your, you know, going gold or whatever. And it's just like, it's just weird. I don't know. We just live in a, we live in a world right now where I think we're still trying to grasp exactly how to do this. We're still transitioning from CDs, it feels like sometimes. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It, but the good news is, is that for the people that aren't on the huge record labels, that they're still able to make a great living putting out great music and playing to great fans. They don't need radio to do that anymore yeah yeah and you see moments like guys like muscadine bloodline who've been touring their asses off for a while mm-hmm. and then had some success on socials that helped them grow totally right? so you, you are seeing it where like an indie artist can still you know push the needle with socials it's- i i think the thing we're seeing the most of now this new trend i think we're seeing is you know, before they used to call this a 10-year town, right? Mm-hmm. Or eight-year town or whatever. And I remember when we first started, people were like, hey, man, you're going to be doing this for like seven, eight years before you guys make money. Fortunately for us, it, it happened a lot faster than that. It happened within a few years. But I noticed, Sam, it takes most bands in that seven to 10-year range to really kind of break. Yeah. It's not taking it anymore. No. There are bands who, there are guys who don't even have a band. Yes. And they blow up. And I think we're in the era right now of the young, young superstar. The superstar is no longer the early 30s, you know, person that has really been hammering it out here and writing a ton of songs. And it just took them a while to get the record deal and network and put out a great record and yeah. work it to radio and the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's a journey. You're not seeing that anymore. You're going to, the superstars we're going to see now, they're all going to be like under the age of 24. Yeah, it can definitely happen. I think I think I, they'll I definitely. I know a lot of guys in my head that fit that thing. Yeah, like yeah. Bailey. I remember yeah. watching him play. I don't know guitar. how old he is, but sure, that's probably a great example. Yeah, I think we had him play one of our writers' rounds when he was twenty or nineteen. I'm mean, right Just right now. Baby. Look at the bands that are breaking huge. You know, you've yeah. got Wyatt Flores. Yeah, Wyatt's young. I just did a session recently with Dylan Gossett. Dylan yeah. Gossett. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he's another Texas guy. I don't he really is. know like, him very well. He just records everything in his like room at his house <laughs> and then puts that on it. I think he lives in Austin too. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy yeah. that I live there and I don't really know him. I probably should make a bigger effort, better effort to like get to know him. But I just, you know, I've got a wife and kids yeah. and a career. Yeah. I just don't have time to hang with everybody. But yeah, yeah but anyway, we could probably sit here and list 10 guys, different people yeah. when Zach Bryan broke. Right? Oh, yeah. I don't know what his age was, but like he didn't even really have a band, right? No. Like he was just serving and posting videos to YouTube or TikTok or whatever was my understanding, and mm-hmm. it kind of blew up. That's exactly it. And, and I think that's like that's just gonna be how it is now. Every every young act is gonna blow up because all their all the young people are on. I say young people. God, I'm not old. 
that makes me sound like such an old person, but you know what I mean. Like people under the age of 25, they're on their phones more. They're on social media more. They're streaming more. Therefore, that's going to increase the the rise of the younger Mm -hmm. artist. Yep. And so I think we're going to be in a really interesting era where in a few years from now, you're going to see these festivals and the lineups are going to be weird. Yeah. Because you're going to have a 24, 25-year-old kid on their first tour headlining a festival because they are massive. And do they even have and enough then music to do so? Underneath them is going to be a legit superstar artist yeah. that's been doing this for 12 years. And then yeah. there's going to be an actor with a country music career. <laughs> and then there's going to be another band or something. Who knows? Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I'm like, that's funny. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> no, it, and it is weird like watching those acts, their live show catch up to their stardom. That's, I was literally going to say that. You nailed it. Yeah. Because they don't have um, the tenure yet. No, they don't know how to They haven't seen yet. enough miles. They haven't been in a van. Yeah. You know, like, they haven't experienced the hardships of going from monitors to a shitty ear rig to a better <laughs> ear rig to being a pro. I mean, they haven't yep. seen, we're playing to 20 people in Pittsburgh tonight. Right. And then eventually we're going to play to 5,000 people in this other city. Like, yep. when you jump to that top level i just don't i don't know maybe maybe i'm just being the old guy but i don't think you're ready yet you're not but you gotta catch up quick you know yeah my (laughs) mom's saying baptism by fire yeah yeah Yeah, you're there i mean and that's there again there's no right way god bless them for having the ability to make that jump so quickly right i'm not hating i would do the same thing and i would want that if i was a young artist now i'd be like man i'm hoping for my moment to blow up and yeah oh hell yeah we're getting hundred thousand dollar offers and we're gonna headline these festivals let's do it it's not like they're gonna be like no i'm not quite ready for that yeah (laughs) i'll take the i'll take the ten thousand dollar slot yeah they're not gonna say that but also it's like man you better get a really experienced crew yes you better you have a tour like, manager that you need to have your manager go out and hire yeah older dudes yep. who are pros to be your tour manager and your sound guy and yep. your crew guys to keep your shit in line and to make <laughs> and and to challenge you on that stage because a young crew won't they won't have the balls to do that yeah no i totally agree with that and and that's one of the neat things of like since i've been here i mean again i moved down in 2020 to nashville so i was doing raise rowdy from back in pittsburgh but like getting to see like the back end of it a little bit, you know, like getting to see like, Oh, they hired this like old school tour manager who had like toured for the last 25 years because they need to make sure that this crew is running tight. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's really interesting hearing, hearing that stuff like on the the side. And it's like, there are still veterans on those teams. They're just not the people that are on stage. Like you said, you know, so it's a very interesting thing. Yep. Um, Stuff that, you know, till I got to Nashville, I never even really realized. Yeah. God bless a good tour manager. Yes. Thank you, Ethan Strunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that y'all's? Yeah. yeah. Haven't, I've had some... Well, I've had mainly good ones, you know, but I've definitely had a few weird ones. And it's just made life not the best. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for the, yeah, the band guys, yeah. especially. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always say, like, the best tour manager, you, like, basically... You don't know that there's any problems. They just take care of everything before 100%. it touches you. <laughs> you know, those That's are true. the guys you really want around. Well, uh, speaking of live shows and touring, um, you got some tour dates you want to shout out, or I don't know. I mean, I'm sure management wants me to like talk about them all, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way because management's just literally trying to help our career be yeah, bigger, right? right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. not hating. Uh, just I don't have them all memorized. Cool. I, I know that we are playing. Um, shit, I'll just look at my phone. Let's see here. 
Uh, in a city near you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know when this will, you know, when this will air, but you know, we're gonna be in Athens, Starkville, Little Rock, Springfield, Manhattan, Kansas, Wichita, Kansas, all over the place. Um, you know, we're all over Oklahoma and Texas, of course, quite a bit. Um, you know, we still don't have a ton of tour dates posted, but Chicago, Indianapolis, we're gonna be in Nashville, April tenth. Where are you guys playing here? That's a Wednesday night. I think we're playing at Exit Inn, maybe. Oh, hell yeah. You know, when we come to town, especially on a weeknight, you know, we kind of have to play more of a smaller room. Yeah. As we just saw Mike Ryan there so yeah. on a weeknight. And I like Exit Inn. I always Dude, I have, man. That that's venue. a it sounds even first place I think we ever to. played when we came to this town a long time ago. So yeah. it'll be cool to be to be back there and hopefully have like a really packed house. And yeah. Just have a good energy in there. I'm sure so, I'll be there. Yeah, we got tour dates all over, and we're playing stagecoach for the first time ever. That's Sick. a big deal. Crazy. We're pretty pumped about that. So yeah. we'll have some West Coast stuff this year too. And so I don't know wherever you're listening, camera ready, right? Like, wherever you're, uh, wherever you live, um, hopefully we'll be playing near you, and you'll have an opportunity to come see us. We would love um, to win you over as a fan. Uh, because, like I said, you know that's that's why we still do this, right? Is mm. to create new music and to grow the fan base, so that we can do this uh, into our sixties. Yeah. All right. Well, appreciate you coming on, man. It's been badass. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. I, I really wanted to do this podcast. Yeah. Um, it was so a much. priority for me and with management. You can ask them. Yeah. Um, I spent eight hundred dollars to be here today. Oh, well, holy shit. You. I don't you know, know if we're worth that. Brown, uh, yeah. Brown, <laughs> yeah, I was, I, just being honest, I, yeah. I, I, round trip flight and a hotel and all of it just to yeah. come here to be here today with y'all. I yeah, appreciate you, you so giving much. me the time to hang with you. Yeah, absolutely, brother. It's an honor. Thank you for being here and, um, you know, just making great country music, man. We appreciate it. See you somewhere down the road. <laughs> well, I'm Nicky T. I'm Kurt Ozon. And we'll see you in the front row. <laughs>